Get this show on the road. Mr. Gomez. First, the old business. All right. It is Feb- February. Uh, April 21st. Yeah, man. We're winding time. <laughs> so, April 21st. This day in history. 1915. Anthony Quinn was born. You remember him? Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. He was Zeus in several Hercules movies. Oh, yeah. He was in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was in a lot of stuff. Um, 1924, Larry Forrester. He was the writer for uh, most of Star Trek Next Generation. Makes me think of uh, The Big Lebowski when he shows up and he's like, he wrote the, oh. bulk, wrote, wrote the bulk of the series, so uh, not a lightweight by any stretch. Yeah, yeah he's <laughs> in the iron lung. Yeah. <laughs> Big fan of your work, sir. All right. Um, 1935. I've got a story about this guy, but we'll go. Charles Grodin. Mm-hmm. You know Charles Grodin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Charles Grodin, who appeared in such films as The Incredible Shrinking Woman and uh, 1976's King Kong, and he was in Rosemary's Baby. Charles Grodin is a man who I despise, although I'm sure he's a phenomenal human being. But that motherfucker was a bad guy in The uh, Great Muppet Caper. He was the bad guy in the Muppet <laughs> movie. I loved him in Midnight Run. And... So, because he's such a like he's a bad guy in the Muppet movie, and I was like five whenever I saw it. I'm like, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of something James Earl Jones that said he took his kids, he took a, like one of his daughters to go see Empire Strikes Back in the theater. She was just old enough that he felt it was okay for her to go watch it. And then when they're leaving, she looked really sad, and he tried to hold her hand. She wouldn't hold his hand. He said, "Baby, what's wrong?" He says, "You cut your son's hand off." I said, "Sweetheart, that's." That's a movie. I I would you know that's, right, that that's, that's not real. I just did the voice. You did that boy bad. You didn't visit him or see him. Since she was quiet to it for a week after Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> All right. Let's see here. Nineteen seventy four. Jennifer Blancmain. She's uh, the wife of Michael Bain. Okay. And she was in Dark Angel, Absent, The Divide, The Victim, Jacob, Among Friends, Malignant, and The Night Visitor. She's really sweet, by the way. I've met her a couple times. <laughs> I've, never, I've never met her. She's really nice. And that is it for the old <clears throat> business. So we're going to take a break, come back with the new. dark of the night, something strange is going on. You see that movie, Night of the Living Dead? Sure. They ship those bodies. Well, say hello. (laughs) 
The dead have risen from the grave. Mister, there's a hundred of those things out there. How many did you say? A hundred. And now the question is, how do we get them back into the ground? Because technically, you're not alive. Why do you eat people? Not people. Brains. Ah! How do you kill something that's already dead? Well, how do I know, Fred? I don't know. Let me think. It's not a bad question, Bert. In that movie, they destroyed the brain to kill him. Is that what they did? The brains, right. Yeah. Brains. is nervous. Usual crap. The police are confused. Send more cops. It worked in the movie. Well, it ain't working now, Frank. In the movie line? It's not a bad question, Bert. It's not a bad question, Bert. It's not a bad question, Bert. The return of the living dead. Okay, well, we don't have a whole lot of new business today, so let's talk about the upcoming Houston Horror Film Festival coming out. Let's do it. Yes. Third weekend yes. of June. Last week we yes. announced the October show. Yes. This week we're announcing the June show. June. So don't, don't don't get things out of line. <laughs> so June comes first. The big three day Houston <coughs> Horror Film Festival coming your way the weekend of June twenty fifth. So that's like two months away. Dude, put yes. your happy pants on. <coughs> uh, still got more guest announcements to come. Not a whole whole lot, but we got some more. But so far we're looking at Clint Howard, uh, Tony Moran, yep. Danielle Harris, which it. really blew Dude, it that up. Was a, that blew me away when I saw that pop up. Dude, I am. I am one of the co-hosts of this show, and when that announcement hit, took me completely sideways. I hadn't told I you. Like, I didn't tell you about that. I was like, holy shit. Kenya Harris is awesome, dude. Uh, Scout Taylor Compton, yep. Christina Klebe, uh, uh Tamara Glenn, Naomi Grossman, who I cannot wait to meet. My wife's excited. She's, a, she's a big fan of, of Just the, uh, That character of hers, we we're, we're set up an interview with her too, by the way. Uh, her character in American Horror Story, which actually will also be in the next season of American Horror Story. She is returning for her third season. The same character? Yes. Okay. Uh, Pepper is coming back. Uh, she's going to be there. Oliver Robbins, who we're going to be interviewing here pretty soon, and that will be coming to you. Laura Park Lincoln, of course. from Yeah, the psychic chick yes, whooping Jason's ass, bringing seven. Kate Hodder that <laughs> fucking pain. <laughs> the incredible Byling who I cannot wait to meet her. She is going to be a handful. I have no idea who I'm going to have set up as her handler, but it ought to be interesting. Leslie Easterbrook. 
Dude, Police Academy. Good. When I was a kid, who did not eyeball Jump her? Start and fucking your, Jesus, your puberty, Jesus Christ. Because oh, Bricky Stevens, Rob Mello, and Lorene Landon so far. Nice. Or, I guess. Uh, nice. And I love how you in that so subtly with so far. So dude, far. That's like that, dude. I've we've been on board with this for a while. You know, um, Tony and Troy with the Houston Horror Film Festival. Um, were gracious enough to let us interview them and then later on join forces, join forces with them. Um, they they have just have their finger on the pulse of of everything cool and horror. And Dude. they just keep they just keep dropping names like it's like, like oh we're gonna bring this person, this person, this it's like my God guys. Like it, wait, 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 it, it usually it usually mm-hmm. takes you a while to build some, some Dude, stuff they've like, been they've been on a fucking tear. They've been on a tear. But what, what's and, awesome is you know talking to Tony recently. You know we we're talking about how great it is that we've met each other and we've been working together. And the main reason is we both have the same goal: is to increase the Houston horror community, bring everybody together, and just celebrate everything that we love together. Dude, and I've I've said it before: three pop ups that you know I've always wondered why Houston couldn't get more love. You know, for, for convention scenes, especially horror. I mean, I love Frightmare. I drive to Dallas. We do the whole shtick. We stay and all that jazz. But I've won. It's like, this is like the fourth largest city in the United States. There's no way we can't have right. this here. Why has this not happened? I've seen people try it and just just fail. Right. And that it's able to occur, I, I'm just so incredibly grateful. Just to be around it, just to be a part I, I, of it is amazing. I, I think, and... We we're recording, so you know this is this is public record. This is my opinion because when we started Scary Dads, I looked into why don't you know where is the Houston horror at? And Houston has a lot of issues. Like let's say some of the worst. Well, well, Houston has a lot of fair weather fans, but that's 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 sports. Let's, you know, let's not get that right, way. right, but right, right. Houston has issues like very very hot summers, um, just. It's so broad that people would almost rather drive to Dallas than to downtown. Right. Like, it, it, it really does. But the reality is most of the people who attempted to start a convention were after money. Right. That they did it the, for the wrong reason. That was exactly. the plan. Right. Was if we bring right. these people, we will make money. And I'm not saying that we're not in. Like, this is a business. We're, we're trying to make some money. But the money is built to build the business and make it to where we can bring a bigger make event it better. make it better. Right. And starting a little bit small, growing, getting some equity, making making people understand and trust us, making our vendors trust us because Houston does have a reputation for not following through with them. And, and that's and that's and, been one of the major deals I, I could have seen going into that. Is there been history with, with certain people putting together certain conventions and then having issues with not paying talent, breaking contracts, and that's gonna sour the mm-hmm. pool. I mean, you're going to have agents talk to each other. And they're going to say, "Hey, these guys in Houston, man, they're not paying," and it's going to cause a lot of issues. But he's, but it's been done correctly. It's it's the Marvel way of doing it. He did Captain America. He did Thor. He did whatever. Now we get the Avengers. Well, what's great is we're at this point now where agents, people are reaching out to us saying, "When are you guys doing another event?" They they see they see the, <laughs> wanted, the equity knew, in the event. If we wanted to, we could have had forty yes for this uh, June event. And we we Easily. just we just really want to make the every event 
especially with like COVID restrictions and people being worried and like look there's all of these logistics on the backside of things that we have to worry about but we're worrying about them and we're taking them seriously instead of putting them on you to have to worry about like the governor dropped COVID restrictions we kept them right you know people were concerned we, you know, we're, we're trying to do the right thing, and you may agree with restrictions or don't, but we're trying to do the right thing by our guests and our vendors and everything. We're not just in it for the money. If we make a little scratch on the side, that would be great. We're in it for a party, and I think we're about to have a couple of, of amazing ones. Well, you know, me and Tony visited the hotel last week, and uh, just we're going to have the, we're currently judging the, uh, the movies for the film festival. <clears throat> some of the best movies it, it, it's amazing the quality of film submissions that we had this year it's like everybody's like their stimulus checks last year and decided to invest in movies and uh just some, we're gonna have screenings the entire time that we're there uh troy's gonna be handling all the movie screenings we have parties and after hours uh events for you to take part in we have a whole bunch of people that are gonna be staying at the hotel uh so we're gonna have stuff for everyone to do we've got almost 60 vendors we're gonna have there all right, it's gonna be, it's photo, gonna be an amazing it's gonna be time. Photo ops, the professional photo ops this time. It, mm-hmm. It's gonna be a really, really. It's good some time. costume photo ops. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be a beast. It's gonna be awesome. I can't and wait, I'm, dude. And I'm, I'm just, I'm in love with the whole thing. I'm in love with the whole thing. Just, just getting people what they want. It's not just about, like you guys said, it's not just about cash. Any idiot can make money. It's can you, can you have fun while you do it? Can you entertain That's... the audience? And that's, that's why we're here. And we thought with 2019, 2020, everything that hit us, maybe we would have been done. But it looks like we're, we're only just getting started. That was <laughs> kicking over the motorcycle engine. <clears throat> Boom! Here we go. <laughs> so anyway, let's take a break, and let's come back, and let's talk about some scary 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. 23. The day you count on for terror is not over. Friday the 13th, part 2, rated R. Starts Friday at the Sacramento Drive-In. Alright, so last week we talked about gateway horror. We talked about that stuff that was not really meant to be horrific or, you know, maybe wasn't thoroughly... It was. It certainly wasn't billed as a horror movie. That wasn't its purpose or its point, but it had those elements that made you look look deeper into what might else be out there. Then, one day, you're walking through the living room and your parents are watching a movie, and some dude gets uh, caught in a in a in a rope snare, and a dude with a hooked uh, machete cuts his throat, and you go, "I should not have just seen that." And that was my introduction to Friday the 13th Part 2 when I was about six, seven years old. My parents were watching it. and, and uh, <laughs> Dude, that's how it happens. That's right. how it happens. And, and, and that traumatized me. I was scared as shit. I was, I was walking around all the time looking for rope traps. I don't want to... I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, <laughs> well, I, I think 
you know, the last episode we talked about being desensitized to a certain extent to uh, some of the things we see in horror, and, and I can say that the two the two movies that stand out the most that I shouldn't have seen when I saw them was the first one I've talked about on the podcast before was Texas uh, Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, uh, the original uh, I remembered vividly when I originally saw it, rented it because <laughs> the, the the way it worked out, me and my cousin would ride our bikes to the video store. We had carte blanche. According to my mom, the rent whatever we wanted for the weekend, and we rented Texas Chainsaw Massacre on the weekend. And I remember, I'm born August 1973. The movie took place in August 1973. So as soon as I saw that at the very beginning, I was into it. Watched it way too young. And then the next thing, me and my cousin rented. I'll never forget the night we rented it was Faces of Death. I really, really, really should not have watched Faces of Death. When the, I did. Que- the question though is. <clears throat> Did you regret watching it then? And, and when I when I mean like, did it scare you so bad that you're like, man, I really no, like, it didn't. I, That's I was, the problem. <laughs> it, it just it, it made me it 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 made me want to see more. It's like we talked about that adrenaline rush with horror. I wanted to see more. I wanted. I was fascinated. I want to see you know, these things actually happen. I want to learn more about it and everything. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, the scariest horror I find. We we're talking about, you know, people saying, "What's the scariest movie?" You've right, ever right. Seen? right. Movies where shit can actually happen. I can separate, you know, reality from fantasy pretty easily. You know, I know uh, Freddy isn't going to come get me in my nightmares. But when I watch a movie like The Strangers, and there's some people out in the middle of nowhere, and they can't leave because there's actual people outside keeping them in there, that's a scary movie to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Event Horizon, that shit's not scary. It's a wonderful movie. It has jump scares and stuff like that, but I'm not going to have nightmares from it. Right. I'll have nightmares from a movie like The Strangers. That shit will actually make me have bad dreams because that shit can really happen. One of the scariest movies I ever saw, I'll never forget when I watched it, Kids. Mm. Yeah. Kids. Oh, yeah. Just the idea idea of walking through a park and upsetting some kids with skateboards and then beating me unconscious with their skateboards. That shit could really happen. You know, that kind of shit to me is scary. To this day, I have a little bit of trepidation. And it's only because I know that if if some group of 14 year olds start fucking with me and if I lay one out, I go to prison. So it's like, what do you do? You push it back, like, please don't make me do anything. But also, please don't hurt me. So yeah, so uh, it, with my kids, I've also always raised them to understand the difference between fantasy and reality, you know. But there's that some movies tread that fine line where, yeah, that could actually happen. And we'll get when we get to based on the true story, we'll get to some of that stuff. Right, right, right. But uh, right. but yeah, so uh, those are the two movies that I saw way way too early, and once I got hooked with those two, and they didn't scare me away, I just started renting shit. Like, right. I started realizing, you know, a lot of these horror movies got got boobs. <laughs> Dude. Dude. So I, you know, the uh, Blood Diner, which I've rented a million times. There's a scene in there where a topless woman is running around with a hush puppy on her head, and you know, I love that scene because <laughs> you really love hush puppies. What it's boobs, and then her head gets knocked off with a broom. <laughs> it's two of the greatest. Oh yeah, Chopping Mall. There's some high hot women in childhood. Oh, yeah. As a kid, I love seeing that, man. That that movie, it's, it's, Dude, the, it's a classic. One of the ones I saw way too young, and I talk about it all the time, is Return of the Living Dead. I saw that the year Likewise. it came out on HBO. So I must have been seven years old. Uh-huh. And that is far too young for a movie. It's hilarious now. 
mm-hmm. but it's such a visceral film. I like that movie is staunch violence, and when it kicks in, <coughs> it is violent and it's gory. Shit. Oh, it's gory, and you there's know, the subtle undertones to the whole thing. But like like you said, there was there were zombies, there were tits. You know, trash rips her top off, and she's dancing she's on the naked, altar. Yeah. yeah, she's not. She's not topless. No, she it takes she her shit off. She gets no. up, don't think she's wearing a stocking. Shout out to Linnea. We love Dude, her. Dude, that's somebody gets some light over here. Trash is taking her clothes off again. Well, that's one of those things that's just like, like you say, you know, watch her way too young, or you got you because like <clears throat> being a horror podcast host, I've had those moments because I will, I will unashamedly say like horror movies scared me when I was a kid like I would watch something and I would be scared of it and I'd probably call for mom like oh I'm scared but then I had to evaluate because I'm like okay one of the first horror movies you know one of the first things that really piqued my interest was Jaws 3 that was 1983 I was 8 and I was watching Jaws you know wreck shop in the, uh, in the marina at 8 years old and I Loved it, you know. Piranha. Piranha, dude. Yeah, so I watched that on USA up all night. Well, but Piranha, you know, was one of those that I watched. I, I mean, I don't remember exactly how I watched it, but in San Marcos, there's a place called Aquarina Springs, and there are natural springs that you know flow out of the, and they dammed it up and made a lake. It's a, <clears throat> it's a freshwater lake, and it's really, really deep. And they've got these perch. And the reason they filmed it there is because the water's so clear and they've got these perch that act like piranha. They kind of cluster together and stuff. Yeah, it's cool. And I was, again, seven, eight, nine years old and I had seen piranha and they filmed it there. And, you know, you're looking through a glass bottom boat and you see these perch down in the water and you're like, I'm not going to step anywhere near that glass. I'm not going to get anywhere near the side of the boat. Like, I'm scared. But that didn't, like, keep me up at night. It didn't scare me it wasn't right. monsters like sharks and fish and bears and alligator and those sorts of things it was slashers like you said the stuff that could actually happen and I remember being a kid probably like 10 11 years old laying in my bed terrified of Jason terrified because there's no stopping that guy he's just gonna get you like if he wants right. you gone you're gone there's no like there's no running the car's not gonna start you can't get away. And I remember laying one night almost hyperventilating because I was so scared because we'd watch Friday the 13th Part 5. A bunch of my friends wanted to rent it. It had just come out. It was 1985. I was nine years old. We just watched that movie, which, love it or hate it, has some of the gnarliest kills in, in the whole franchise. Right. It's got a lot of boobs in it, too, which are awesome. But the boobs are kind of... And the dancing. It, the girl in the room. Yeah. The boobs are eclipsed by just the sheer, like, gnarly brutality of the kills. And I remember laying on one night just almost hyperventilating because I was so fucking scared of Jason that I had to tell myself, and this is how I know, like, like when people are, like, go off weird mental tangents, I almost did, like, a yoga thing. It was like, look, if he comes through the window... Right. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. You're not getting away. Right. You just have to let it go. <laughs> you have to sleep. This is my like conscience or my Holy Spirit or something being like, you you can't what it is at this you, point. <laughs> you can't live like this. If you're going to die. If this motherfucker's coming after you, 
it's over. So just lay there until the window breaks because there's nothing else you can do. And that called me out. And I think that's kind of what, after that, it became the roller coaster for me. It was like, okay, if I can survive that, like if I can, if I can survive like almost a panic attack and just be like, you know, the, the world sucks and there's shitty people in it and sometimes they want to stab you. You know what I mean? Right. But... Yeah, way too young to be watching movies like that. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and you know, but again, it was the 80s. We had all of those, those the, what we talked about last week, all of those things that made you interested. So there were certain levels. You're like, whoop, that's too scary. Fucking RoboCop, dude. We talked about that last week. RoboCop. I remember going to school. Everybody's talking about RoboCop. RoboCop's the shit. Did you see RoboCop? RoboCop's awesome. Man, there is a guy who gets melted by toxic waste and then hit by a car and explodes. It's awesome. And I'm being like, holy shit. How do they come up with this stuff? Dude, you know what I mean? Dude, the wonders of Paul Verhoeven. But I love that but man. But it's brilliant. But again, what is RoboCop? Oh, it's 87, in- so I was 12. It's incredibly violent. You know, it's, it's so, it's ultra-violent. So there was so much of that, that, like, and then later I realized my entire life was surrounded by horror. Like, fucking Ronald McDonald Land was horror. Right. You know, right. <laughs> there was so much yeah, scary another shit. one I saw too young was Halloween. I was, the first Halloween was, for, was scarier for me than the Friday the 13th movies. I love Friday the 13th. I will take Friday the 13th over Halloween as a franchise any day. Of Likewise. Likewise. I really love it. The one, the one I love the most was, was like part four, part three. Part, part three two. is the one that I'm most endeared yeah. to because I was at that age when it was on cable that it played on a loop all yeah. the time. And I saw, I saw that one more than right. the other. And what I, what I loved about three and four was that they'd have that quick little recap of how Jason got there. So you'd get like a quick montage of kills. But then I watched... I watched Halloween. I remember watching Halloween for the first time. And what I what I love about it now, what I one of the things I many things I think is amazing about Carpenter's work is that it it affected where you lived in actuality. Yeah. Because it wasn't in a camp. It wasn't in some fictional dreamland. It was in your block. It was on your neighborhood. It was like an attack on suburbia. It was across the street. Right. It was in your neighborhood. It was that silent stalking. It didn't run with a chainsaw. It didn't, you know, have the, the giant machete and the hockey mask jogging through the woods. It was just this shape that stood outside of a window for 45 minutes waiting for you to go and make popcorn so it could sneak into the room and hack you up with a butcher knife. Mm-hmm. And it was it was so good in that it was so it was silent. So when you're walking around your house at night, like you went to go get a drink of water, you know, the rooms were dark, it was really quiet, and you could imagine that, you could imagine that down the hall in that complete pitch black darkness, that there was something standing there watching you. Mm-hmm. You'd get your water and maybe you'd look, look around <laughs> to see, to see if something was there. There was nothing ever there, but maybe you would, maybe you'd take that little glance and you maybe you'd move a little bit faster when you were heading back to your room. And those those kind of things weren't necessarily geared toward young children. I, you see that young now, you're like, "Fuck yeah, look at him go!" But back then, you were like, "Hmm, hmm." Halloween <laughs> got me because the same same like, you know, you go on your your, you know, you get a little bit older and you start watching movies and you're like, "Okay, well, I've seen Halloween. Like, I, I remember Halloween. Now, that's the one with Jane Lee Curtis. You know, like whatever. She was in Trading Places. You know, it's it's a it's a." But then I watch Halloween when I was older, and like you say, it's like the the, the I should have been scared of Michael, 
or right. something like him because I was afraid of Jason coming through the window. Michael was the one that was more <clears throat> apt right. to do that because he kills the dog. Like he doesn't kill. He doesn't. He just kill, kills anything that's kills. in his way. Yeah. Right. And I remember I was in my early twenties. And it was near Halloween. I went out to my parents' house, and everybody wanted to do something. And we were like, watched Halloween. I hadn't seen it in a couple of years, and probably hadn't seen it all the way through in a good long time. And I watched Halloween, and when it was over, I went outside for a cigarette. And I like leaned against my parents' <laughs> my, my parents' house, and I sat down. And I looked across the street, and there's a sodium light right there. And I'm looking across the street. I was like, motherfucker could be in any one of those, like the inside of those any one of those houses across the street right could be a pile of bodies right festering rotting oh some, yeah some twisted killer oh yeah and we wouldn't know it was just it's just what what day like and that drove the horror of it, Halloween it was long it was more the, than it was the paranoia one yeah. of the things one of the things that got me into like right now I'm very detail oriented especially with films I'm always watching the background I look for little nods and things and homages and one of the things you catch in Halloween is Michael Myers is everywhere He's driving the car in the background. He's standing next to a dumpster. He's on the other side of the street. He's looking at the bush. He's he's over by your car. He's just he's so prevalent he's in everywhere. that movie. Yeah. And it's it's you, it made you paranoid in the wide open space, which is really difficult to make people paranoid in the open. Mm-hmm. You know, you have like the thing that you have a reason to, to have that paranoia because you can't leave. You're yeah. stuck in this thing with this monster. But in Halloween, it was you were in. A neighborhood. You're in a town. You could go out and leave. You have the freedom to vacate, but you don't know where it is. He's hiding in plain sight. That's he's, right. He's in the yeah. back right. seat. Right. He could be in the back seat. He could be standing for some odd reason in your fucking closet. He's hanging out by the garbage disposal. You don't know where he is. Right. Yeah. Those, but you know, watched it too young. Like you said, you know, I I saw that that <clears throat> scene from Friday the Thirteenth. My parents were like, "Go to bed." <laughs> I mentioned my dad was watching that. It was that uh, anthology show that had the cat and the witch and all of this. And I was like five years old. And, um, it was the scariest thing. It's one of the scariest things I've ever seen. It's on YouTube. I watched it again. I'm like, holy shit! That was. It was called Catnip, and it was on a. Huh. It was on an anthology. It was called uh, like Night Bites or something in 1981. So I would have been five years old. Of um, it's kind of like Tales from the Dark Side or something. It was a very short-lived show. But it was like little bites, right, right? And like you said, you know, it was like these things you can see. Like there's this guy, and his next door neighbor is a witch, or he's this is an old lady with a cat, and the cat's bugging him. So the the cat keeps coming in his house, and he warns the lady, like if the cat keeps coming over here, I'm gonna fuck her up. And he sets a little trap for the cat. If the cat comes through the doggy door, he's going to blow the cat up, but then it ends up killing the lady. And then the cat just comes and just like terrorizing him. Going all out to try to kill the lady, or try to kill the cat. The cat runs under the bed, he pokes his head under the bed, it's the lady's head. She's like, (laughs) And dude, I'm like six years old, I'm just like, I remember that right now as Jason, Freddy, Hellraiser, all... The fucking Bruce the shark. Y'all got nothing on whatever who old, uncredited old lady was head <laughs> under head in 1981 on that fucking show. Because I saw that way too young. That just like sent my heart up into here. Whoa. <laughs> now, another movie that uh, I saw way too young. <clears throat> when I say this movie, you guys are going to be like, 
fuck were you doing watching that shit when you were too young? But the fact that I saw this movie too young, it, it, it I can see some positives in this, but Clockwork Orange. I saw Clockwork Orange when I, I saw, was too young. I saw it pretty young, yeah. And But one thing I can say is, one, watching Clockwork Orange at a young age... It desensitized me. Yeah, yeah. It was it was wild. It desensitized me to a point to where I could I, I could watch. And my mom was always, you know, my dad died when I was nine. My mom was a single mom. She worked a lot, and but she just like I've done with my kids, I made sure she made sure that I understood the difference between reality mm-hmm. and fantasy. Mm-hmm. You know, movies are one thing. That's not how real life works. You know you. But the home invasion. But but watching one thing about watching Clockwork Orange at a young age, I think it, it's where I first started developing a appreciation for character development and actual Stanley Kubrick style filmmaking. Right. You know, watching Chopping Mall is one thing. Really appreciating what Clockwork, the, the message behind Clockwork Orange, and, right. and and the watching of a character go from you know one extreme to the next. I think at a young age, it just started. It, it developed an appreciation for certain movies. You know, I started right. watching, I watched Deer Hunter at two end of an age. Bro. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, Platoon. There, there's I so many movies that I watched, yeah. but but the thing about it is, even as a young child, I I, I could sit there. You know, I, you would try to show a movie like that to a young child, they get bored and want to stop watching it. I could appreciate what the movie was all about. You right. know, and, and actually sit through the whole thing. All right. Yeah. So Clockwork Orange definitely. I think seeing that. At a younger age, it, it helped me appreciate movies more. Because, you know, you look at movies like Friday the 13th, Michael Myers, they have a certain formula. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've talked on the podcast before about how there's, there's iconic horror characters. That's why, like, my my favorite iconic horror characters are, like, Pinhead and stuff. Because it has character development. He has a personality. Right. You know, it's stuff you can appreciate. When it comes to most of your slashers, it's a basic formula. Now, some people do it better than others. You know, there's some horrible slashers out there. Then there's the, the greatest of all time, Jason Voorhees and, and Michael Myers. But it just made me just have a different way to look at films and appreciate certain films more than I had before. And, but I, 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 this other movie's not hard. I, I think I've talked before. I was 12 years old and my mom dropping me off to see Nice Dreams in the theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and shit like that. Uh, you know, but it just... It, I matured quickly. I mean, when I was nine, my dad died, like, in front of me. You know, so I, I kind of grew up kind of fast. So it... it yeah. It, but it gave me my love of film that I have. But we were saying when IMBD came out, there was nothing I better. I lived dude. on that. I remember finding out about that <laughs> and I was wanting to high five people. It's like, now I can look stuff up. I can see who did the effects for things. Dude, my... I, mean, I was watching fucking uh, Night Shift the other day with Henry Winkler mm-hmm, and, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that looks like Clint Howard. To Clint Howard. Like, holy shit, that is Clint dude, Howard. so much. I did that so fast. Like, who is that guy? Hold on, let me look. Let me see who that is. Do no, dude, like... I remember going to the grocery store, and there was Weekly World News and National mm-hmm. Enquirer and that stuff, and there was Fangoria. And depending on what was on the cover, because, again, you know, being a little, little kid, and, again, you, you have a weird sort of way-back machine, your 2020 vision going, you know, into the past year, your rose-colored glasses. Dude, I remember going and seeing, like, you know, there's, you know, Guitar magazine, there was this and that. There was Fangoria, and like 
sometimes it was like Dragon Slayer and other times, or Godzilla or something. Other times it was just like, and there was other magazines. But I remember being like scared to watch the movies. But I'd sit there and my mom was running through the grocery store and I'd look through Fangoria and it'd be like, so-and-so did the effects on this movie right. or whatever. Right. So-and-so did the effects on that. So like American Werewolf and stuff, you know, stuff. There was also stuff like HBO would have like, because I remember American Werewolf was on HBO. My parents were like, you cannot watch that. And I wanted to watch it, but I was also kind of like, I trust you if you're telling me because I'm like, I've seen some shit and I don't like it. I'm scared. But I'd sit there and read about how they made the effects. Then HBO did this thing. It's like how they, you know, it's like, right. they didn't show how it was done. They were just talking about how awesome it was and how you knew. It was a promo for the, for yeah, the movie. Yeah, I remember those. And um, that's why watching the movie always trips me out because in the in the little 30-minute special, they were playing Bad Moon over the transformation scene. Okay. Whereas in the movie, it's Blue Moon mm-hmm. while he's transforming. And it's, it's a Landis effect where he does, like, he plays Bad Moon... And and all, um, can't remember his name, the 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 guy who turns into the werewolf, uh, not, but his 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 name uh, David. Um, all yeah. David does is pace around his apartment, lights on. He's walking around. Bad Moon plays two and a half minutes long, and you you expect something to happen and it doesn't. And then it goes to Blue Moon, and then he starts twitching. In the in the promo for this American Werewolf thing, he was they were they were sh- they were clipping the scenes where his hands were stretching, right, right, right. And his fangs were growing, and they were playing Bad Moon, the Credence song. So in my mind, when I watch the movie, when I hear the Credence, I'm ready for the transformation, and it always kind of drops out because I'm like, what happened? What happened? Like, <laughs> and then Blue Moon starts, and he starts twitching. I'm like, oh shit! But that's the power of watching that promo, like that, that right. little trailer thing. But I remember watching that. I mean, to be fair, when you watch American Werewolf, a lot of the kills are implied, like their cutscenes. Right, right. It, the, the the hardest, I mean, the scariest parts are him talking to Jack and transforming. But in this trailer thing, it was mostly Jack and transforming. It was like all of the makeup effects condensed. So I more or less seen the movie in this trailer. So when I actually saw the movie scared the shit out of me but I'd already seen most of the I'd already seen the good parts you know but I remember seeing that and just being like oh man because I did, I couldn't I was still so young I couldn't separate reality from fantasy mm-hmm. I'm just like that would hurt so bad yeah <laughs> like, right you're, you're oh yeah you like, can hear him breaking and stuff yeah, like that would, like he, he's obviously not having a good time oh yeah no he's, it's, he's, it's amazing and, and so I remember that it was such a visceral and the comedy music and every like all the the, the John Landis Animal House like sight gags and bullshit that he throws in there and then all of the, the dream sequence you're just like he, he 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 sets it and he spikes it and then the ball grows fucking razor blades as it's coming at you because it's just that brutal in American Werewolf that's what that's what happened with me with uh, with Poltergeist, which I saw way too young. I and I think <laughs> I think we all did. I, I think, think that's where we're gonna land. What it, what it really, I think what really makes Poltergeist—it's an absolutely terrifying film—is its pacing. 
It just starts off completely accessible as, as the family unit and the little fun with the Spectre, Phantasm, Poltergeist thing, whatever. And then it's and then it goes into them setting the, the scene with the with the television. Which was very prevalent at the time. Nowadays you don't have to worry about the fuzzy screen yeah. and television you know, stations going off the air. And using that sound and their subtle use of music and lighting to make the, the house the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And it, it digs in and it digs in hard. They bring in the investigators. You get the clawing at the face. You get the really terrible stuff. And then it ends. They get the girl back. They go to the bathtub. You they're going to wash off. Everybody's hunky-dory. And you're like, wow, that's really good. You didn't realize there were 40 minutes left in this movie. And all he did was set you up. Now we're going to get real. Now it's going to get real live, real fast. They set up the bit with the clown on the bed. You know, before it was just a clown. He throws the jacket over it and stuff. And, and you're like, all right, nothing has happened with that clown. You forget that it's even an issue. And then once that scene starts with Robbie getting drugged into that scared the fuck out of me. You know, the look on the face was so amazing. Well, the sound effects. Well, that's one of the amazing things about Poltergeist. I think that hit hard for most of us when we watched it at that age. Was it featured a little boy the same age as us. Yeah. And... Oliver did such an amazing job showing fucking terror. I mean, it was so realistic, the fear that he had. Do the you know, voice when he's all, Carolyn! As a Carolyn. kid, we could all relate to where he was because we could see ourselves in, because we were that kid. Mm-hmm. We could see ourselves in we're, that exact situation. We're, we were exactly the same age. Yeah. And I said, it was funny because we were talking about, you know, rating movies. You know, it's like PG or whatever. I remember because, um, my grandparents in the it in the house I grew up in is about a mile from here, um, on the other side of the freeway. And my grandparents built had the house built in the forties or early fifties. My parents grew up there, and uh, then I was born and lived in a house over in Spring Branch. And then we'd go to Grandma's house. My parents would leave for the weekend and drop me off at Grandma's house. And at my grandparents' house, it was one of those situations where they, it was, it was like the 40s, it was, it was the 50s, so they had like the formal living room and then the parlor. So you had the former living room where they had their nice furniture and the painting and like the record player and like it was, if you were going to like to go to a website for mid-century advertising, like it was decked out. My grandparents were, uh, my my grandfather worked for Cameron Ironworks in World War II. He, he didn't go to war because they wouldn't let him because he was a foreman at an iron factory. So he was wealthy and home. So he had a lot of money to put into a suburban house. And where we are right now recording this podcast was pasture. They lived right. off in the boondocks in a big house in, a, in a, what would eventually become a suburban neighborhood. And they had all of the the niceties of 1950s pop culture. And then we lived in Corpus, you know, seaside town. So that's why Jaws was so prevalent for me. Well, my parents would go on vacation or whatever, and they'd drop me off at my grandparents' house for the weekend. And I don't think my sister was around. You know, well, Poltergeist came out. Yeah, she would have been, been a baby. So nobody paid attention to me because my sister was a little kid. So they're like, oh, carry this and carry that. And they're just like, do what you want to do. And I had a cousin that would come and play with me because otherwise I'd mess shit up. So they'd 
and bring my cousin over and like he'd stay for the weekend too and he and I would run around and like make bows and arrows out of sticks and like get into fights and whatever but I remember he and I had a conversation because he's like my parents won't let me watch rated R movies I was like mine too I'm fucking like 10 years old right my, my parents won't let me watch 10 years the rated R movies like it's like, but we can watch Poltergeist. It's like, PG, yeah. We could probably watch that one because we won't get in trouble for that. And so what we do is my grandparents would go to bed at like 8. They'd watch like Wheel of Fortune and whatever that first sitcom was. And that was it. And then they just <laughs> go to bed. And we had the whole rest of the house. There was a TV with a VCR cable no remote control. The, the cable company gave us a remote control. It worked like a little Nintendo. It had a wire coming from the console that we could, mm-hmm. we could control and you know, go, to, go to cable and like dial up Poltergeist. And we sat there and watched that movie. And, yeah, PG. There you go. It was fine for kids. <laughs> Dude, that, that and, movie and, was and, just vicious. Dude... The, the clown scene, like all of the scenes. It's funny, is you like try to pick apart Poltergeist, and you go, oh, that one, that one, that one. And at the so end much. of the day, you've narrated the entire movie, right? Dude, to right, the right. End. The entire flooded, uh, flooded pool. Scene dude, the pool with the, with the, the bodies tree, coming out, all of it, dude. It's just, it's, it's it, and there's one scene that to this day it, I'll jump every once in a while mm-hmm. when I see it because I watch Poltergeist. I love that movie, but at the very beginning. They're in the kitchen. Carol Ann's sitting on the counter. You know, she's filming Carol Ann. The camera pans this way. When it goes back, all the chairs on top right. of the table. That scene, I, I jump all the time from that. For right. whatever reason, just it's done so well, oh, so yeah. quick, and yeah. the timing is so good. Because it, it, Carol Ann's in the shop the whole damn time. Right. Yeah. It just barely comes away, and when it goes back, all these chairs on right. top of the table. Right, right, it's right, like, right. how did that happen? Well, they've got her in a little football helmet. <laughs> and she, she slides, slides across the yeah. 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 But that's a new build. It's a new build in 1980s splendor. And, and uh, the dad, Greg T. Nelson, he, he was part of the real estate project. Right. So this is like the house. I was like, he's got the prime real estate, and it's brand new. They haven't even fully moved in yet. There's no pictures on the walls. There's still boxes. Like, everything's still just so fresh and clean. And that's the thing that's scary about it is, like, you're talking about Michael Myers attacks. This was in your neighborhood, right? In your neighborhood. This attacks, like, no, this isn't a Scooby-Doo, like, haunted mansion that you're moving into, like, 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 Hill House or something where you're like, well, you know, that guy killed himself over there, so let's just, like, avoid the cold spot. Like, we're, we're aware that there's shit. There's no shit. Everything still smells like fresh paint and lumber. Right, right. And and this is going on in their house, and they're like, "Well, what is you know? Okay, it's bizarre. Maybe maybe the 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 floor's a little angled, so she slides or whatever." Which that's one of the first signs. Like Joe Beth Williams, like, "Yeah, you know, put a football helmet on my kid because we just set her on a level floor and she slides across the room." For, <laughs> I think one of the but, things that that made it scary, really scary for me as a kid watching it. And that, that kind of sinks in is if you, you pay attention to that movie, the kids are alone. I mean, there's people in the house. They never know where their fucking kids are. Mm-hmm. Like Robbie, he's alone. He's on his goddamn own. Carol Ann, she's alone. She's on her day of parents. They go in the room. They get fucking high. They go to sleep. And all these kids are left to suffer all this shit yeah. in the house. And that was that made it for me 
very troubling. Like my mom worked nights. You know, she was a, a single mom until she met her second husband. So a lot of the time, you know, we were latchkey kids. Yeah. You, know, you took yourself to school. You walked yourself home. You made yourself dinner. dinner right. You when you'd go to sleep, my mom wouldn't be there half the time, and only on weekends. And on weekends, you were outside, but watching you know, like poltergeist. You know, these kids are alone, and who's gonna save him from this clown? Mm-hmm. Caroline disappears into a TV whenever. Or she disappears in the closet. And well, there's there's the closet, and, 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 and then there's they go outside, and they're they're worried about Joe Beth in the pool. And then after she pulls out there off the deck, it's like, then they hear the kids screaming. Suddenly it's like, oh, fuck, we forgot we had children. We need to go and see what's wrong. But we're going to run after Carol Ann. And while Robbie's in his room, being choked to death by a fucking cloud. <laughs> it's like these kids are really, it's like it hammers home that point is you're on your own. You're not always going to have them there to protect. Right. And there wasn't no, there wasn't any quick coming to the rescue dad to beat off the bad guy and pull you to safety. <laughs> you said beat off the bad beat guy. Beat off the bad guy. <laughs> you let him stay or you're going to beat him said. off. <laughs> but, but yeah, dude, like, and, and that's, like, oh, Stephen King and the clown, like, it got everybody, like, that was a whole generation of children traumatized by Stephen Dude, when it came out, I mean, I could have read the book. Well, it came out much later, but I, I mean, I started reading Stephen King when I was like 13 or 14 years old. Yeah, I was Pol- pretty young. Poltergeist had hit me whenever I was like eight. Yeah. Right. You know, and... That's yeah, a creepy ass clown. Dude, you know, the, the whole, like, the Toy Story concept, you know, it's like all of that. Like, I remember being a little kid and like, you know, I had a He-Man guys and I had them like, you're playing with your guys and... Then your mom says go to bed, so all of your guys are just there. And I remember laying there, and, you know, moonlight's coming through the window, and I'm like, I bet you, whenever I go to sleep, they all just continue on playing. Like we've all had that. That's why Toy yeah. Story hit the way that it did. Right. But with Poltergeist, you know, he's like, I'm scared of, like, I've got a toy in my room that I'm not afraid of. It's not a thing. I'm not afraid of it until right now. Suddenly, I'm afraid of it. Right now, I'm afraid of it. And then all of a sudden, like, it wraps around his neck and tries to choke him. Like, nobody liked clowns after that. That, that, was, that, that was, right there, yeah, that is the, yeah. the hammer in the coffin for clowns. Because clowns used to be comic relief. It's like, why are you scared of Jerry Seinfeld? I'm not, Jerry Seinfeld's funny. He tells jokes. He, 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 right. says, he says, you know, what about mustard? Until Jerry Seinfeld just like shows up at your house and f- tries to put a knife in your throat, and then you're like, I don't like that motherfucker anymore. <laughs> now Jerry Seinfeld and I don't get along. Thanks, Jerry. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like everybody just thought clowns were just just dandy until Poltergeist, and then Caroline gets pulled into the wall. And she... Dude, the whole TV. And Craig T. Nelson so has played crazy. nothing but comedic characters his entire career. He did coach. He's he's on like Young Sheldon now. He's he's a funny guy, but you don't look at him and he's he's. Well, Longest Yard, he was kind of he, an he, asshole. Well, no, he, he he he's good at being an asshole, but he's a he's he's not a very versatile actor. He's just kind of him. Yeah. And him is the dad from Poltergeist. <laughs> yep. That's who he is. Yeah. Like okay. You know, which one of you disciplines the children more? And she's like, probably him. He's like, that's not fair. She's like, yell at him. He's like, Carolina, get your ass down here. She's like, Rarr! She appears in the in the void. Like, that is so real. Because that's 
that's that's a parenting thing. Right. It's like who's the more disciplinarian? It's like doesn't make you necessarily the bad guy. It's just who they're going to listen to, who they're going to respond to. Oh, it's you. Yell. Ah. It's so. It's got so much nuance and so many details, and then scared the shit out of me. <laughs> oh, dude, as a kid, it scared the crap. When out they of me. when they finally fucking crush it, then they go to the hotel <laughs> and, and the TV out. wheels out, <laughs> like, and you the, hear the. La, la, that's some music too. Is is that's another one of those ones that just doesn't let you down because the music, the music's not scary. It's kind of like for, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. It's like kind of sing-songy like do-do-do-do-do but then whenever it's in context you're like that's a like that's a messed up lullaby right there yeah. dude i had issues with with tvs for for a while after that like whenever the, the station <laughs> the went thing, off yeah. dude that static because that you just hear that and you just you don't know yeah you just you don't you, you go don't back know. to that what, what you remember yeah right it's like dude i don't i mean now i'm good i'm fine and all that but when i was a kid and that happened I saw that too young. Uh, I wasn't yeah. ready for how smart that movie was, how well it was going to play you. Because you get older and you see, you can see horror coming a thousand yards. I can watch a movie and I can almost tell you what's going to happen beat for beat having never seen it. Because you know it's this. It's not my formula. Right. You can see how they're framing the shot. You can hear the change in the music. You can tell, you know, during the timing, I can look at the timing of a film and see when the first act ends are going to do whatever in the second act. Poltergeist was really smart, and it knew how to scare you. It isolated you inside of your own home. It hit you with the scary things inside your own house that, that were you readily prevalent. It it was it was and just. Then it brought you in the little midget lady with the Lisa Simpson voice. Yeah, who couldn't? <laughs> who couldn't? Like, yeah, she's, she's scary. This. She's scary. She's the good. Yeah. She's creepy as hell. Yeah. But she's creepy, yeah. and she just ruined it for midgets. <laughs> she wasn't even a full-on midget. But ever since her, I'm like, maybe she can help get the... <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, 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 and just so you know, that was another thing. I'm watching Somewhere Over the Rainbow with Chevy Chase. Remember that old yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah. And Carrie... Uh, uh, Fisher. Carrie Fisher. And I saw her in Somewhere Over the Rainbow. So I'm on IMBD. I'm like, it has to be her. It has to be her. And sure enough, it was the same. Hell yeah. <laughs> I love her in that uh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. <clears throat> yeah. She was so, as a librarian. She's so great. Yeah, dude, the, the good guy is scary, too. They're like, oh, you know, one time we were on this part, this investigation, and this little toy car moved, like, an inch in 12 hours. It's so like, funny. He's like, see, let me show you something. I like, the fucking Incredible Hulk's riding the shark. I love how Craig T. <laughs> like, Nelson like just looks at it and goes, uh-huh. And he opens the door and walks off. <laughs> We don't really go in there. In so many scenes of the movie, when the stake starts crawling across the counter, no, and then it, starts, it does it the thing, eat, like with just, maggots. Yeah, with maggots coming dude, out and everything. Well, well, the, the guy spills his face. Face off. killing scenes because he's just like that movie will scare. As a kid, if you hadn't watched a lot of horror, if you hadn't, if you didn't have a lot of exposure, and you saw Poltergeist, probably as an adult, if you had no real exposure to scary movies, you can keep the Conjuring for your first ghost movie that scares you and I will trump you a poltergeist all day long because that movie fucks with you yeah poltergeist is and then then you got like the Bernie Wrightson demon just popping out for a minute hair and everything yeah like bites that bites Craig T. Nell or bites the other guy that got him on the side like yeah we don't go upstairs oh yeah all on his uh, yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) we don't go upstairs (laughs) we we sleep down here in the living room 
Yeah, and you get older, and it's there's still aspects of that that are unsettling. It's like the family is like they can't leave because their kid's missing, but they can't go upstairs. So they all just kind of congregate in the living room, and they're and they're just, they're so in touch with all the horror around them. Like, oh, don't worry, there'll be another flash in around thirty seconds. Yeah, they're just so used to it. <laughs> they're they're like desensitized. Like, yeah, there's a giant demon that guards the steps. We don't go there. <laughs> it drops watches every now and again from the the weird fuzzy shit in the sky. Well, and like when he's yelling at his uh, boss, he's like, "You did this on purpose. Like you, you, you moved the stones. You never moved the bodies. Yeah, you moved the bodies. But then later you realize it's not about the bodies even. It's just, just like whatever it is. It's just they they were just unlucky. They could have moved three doors down. It would have been just as fucked up. But when she falls in the pool and like all the skeletons oh, are popping out, oh, those things are bodies and everything. Yeah, vicious. And then you learn later on that they were real skeletons. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. And you thought it was like some kind of weird myth. Like those stories people tell, you know, the real life, oh no, yeah. it was blah, blah, blah. And then you read about it, you got, oh, like, holy fuck, they really were skeletons. <laughs> it was just cheaper to import skeletons from India than it was to make fake ones in Hollywood. They have the better teeth. <laughs> Where did they find all these skeletons with perfect teeth? So I've I mentioned this on the podcast before, and we're pr- pretty much close to the end, but the talk about importing skeletons from India so one of my customers a lot of my customers are from India or Pakistan or you know that area of the world and I was talking to one of them one time and I don't remember exactly how we got on the subject but um, he was like yeah you know he's like I was like oh how, how are things he's like things are, are weird over there I'm like why are they weird it's like American diet I'm like why he's like you know people are getting fat they're dying younger you know just that's like okay, he's like, so over where I'm from, we have a graveyard or a cemetery, you know, how, however you say it, you know. He's like, and, and it's the way the way that it works. It's different because we're Hindu, so like ashes to ashes, dust to dust. So essentially, when you die, they dig a hole like a vertical hole, and they drop you in, and then cover you in dirt, and they don't really put a memorial on it, but you've also got this plot of land. So they start, like, thinking about, like, a battleship grid. Mm-hmm. They start at A1, and they drop you in, and then they just keep going through the grid over the years, and, like, you know, 20, 30 years later, they hit, you know, like, you know, you know Z20, and then they start back at A1. And when they dig up A1... There's nothing left. Completely composted. Maybe some teeth, maybe some bones, but for the most part, gone. Gone. Well, in the last 20 years, they start hitting back at A1, and they've got mummies. They've got, like, because of all the preservatives now. Mm -hmm. So they're digging into what should be basically just, like, really rich soil... And finding dead people that have been just sitting in the ground for twenty years, as opposed to right. Being, he's like, yeah, it's it's kind of a problem because there's not a whole lot of easy empty space there. So they're trying to like now we've got crematoriums because before we didn't we just right you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years drop them in drop them in a one and then by the time you get to Z you just start here. And so it's like you just burial ground. You've got 
thousands of people. But now, instead of, like, moist ground, you've got thousands right. of people. you got a body farm. And they're like, well, we don't know what to do with it. <laughs> Stop eating McDonald's, I guess. Yeah, that is the weirdest thing. <laughs> I think we've uh, probably hit the end of this. Poltergeist, to me, I watched it too young. I did, easily. I was in Chainsaw Massacre. I think if I watched it now, I'd still be too young because Poltergeist is fucking brutal. That was a Toby Hooper joint that yes. Steven Spielberg came in and put his name on it. No, Steven Spielberg directed it more or less and put Toby Hooper's name on it. Yeah. Okay. Have you not heard that controversy? I no. okay. So that's something I want to say. I've read multiple accounts in several different ways. Especially when it comes to them not being able to re-release it, why it's why it's never going to see Blu-ray. It's never going to see an updated, cleaned-up boutique release. There have been interviews with people that said Spielberg was almost never on set, and if he was, he was producer. Hooper directed, and then there will be people that say Hooper only did X amount of work. Spielberg cleaned it up. There's no super definitive. There's no real footage of it. All that stuff is is hiding somewhere. There's like nobody can agree on who did what. Until then, I will say it is a Hooper film with Spielberg influence, because I don't think Spielberg is capable of the amount of fear that Hooper was would able to bring. Spielberg made Jaws. He made he made Jaws. That's very true. But Jaws and Poltergeist are two completely different monsters. Oh, oh yeah, they they are. They're, it's for me. It's it's that full atmospheric horror. The, the gore involved in it, just the, the depressing anxiety. Spielberg can make great movies. We're going to ask Oliver next week. Dude, I'm not, that's, dude, you don't think that's on my list of questions? I'm sure he's been asked that like a thousand times. I wonder if people are allowed to even talk about it. I, I challenge you, though. I challenge you because we'll, we'll talk about it at the end. Guys, thank you so much for joining us again. <laughs> we're we're going to continue this, continue this conversation off air. Uh, join us next week when we talk again about scary things. We love you. Please come to our shows. Please listen to our podcasts. Please watch horror movies. Yeah, watch all horror the horror movies. movies. Every it's goddamn scary. horror movie. Watch them all, good, bad, or indifferent. Just enjoy them. Keep it scary. Later. Have fun.